the incomparable. Number 153, August 2013. We're back on The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight we're going to be talking about time travel movies, but I have a confession to make. What you're listening to is timeline B of this podcast. We already did the podcast, and then we entered a time travel box, traveled back a little more than an hour in time, and are now emerging from the box at the beginning of the podcast, which I know is very confusing, just like some of the movies we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, among my guests on tonight's show are Lex Friedman, who we're going to find out didn't really like Primer. Hi, Lex. Hi, I really didn't like Primer. <laughs> no, no, well, that's too bad because we're going to talk about it. I'm glad you watched it. Spoiler alert. I yeah. watched it twice. It's all spoilers. We, we'll fire the spoiler horn off at the end of the podcast. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about all the movies. Uh, Tony Sindelar is also here. Hi, Tony. Hi. You know, if somebody ran up to me and shakes me and asks me what year is it, I'm just going to slap them unless they're like filling out a check or something. Then they get the that's a that's a good idea. If you if you run into yourself and yourself has gold bars or silver bars all taped to his chest, I uh, would ask for a fifty fifty split. Yeah, just take the money and run, man. That's just that's that's how you do. It. That's be called being a gentleman. I think so. Uh, da- David Lore is here. Hi, David. Hello. I'm uh, I'm hoping we didn't get around to talking about Inspector Space Time. Oh, whew. I think we. I think I can guarantee you that there will be no talk about Inspector Space Time on this episode. I just have a feeling. It's it's the brighter timeline. Don't change the timeline, David. Don't alter the timeline, or we'll have to record this podcast again, and nobody wants that. Don't don't drive angry. Well, maybe we'll talk about Groundhog Day though. That would be nice if we mentioned that at the yeah, end. Yeah, that would be. That would, that would be, be good. Be. John Syracuse is here. Hi, John. Uh, if I'm listening to this, just a message to myself: make sure you get into the box it's imperative that you do that thank you <laughs> thank you and, and i know that in this episode you're gonna you're gonna talk about um all of the things that you absolutely love about 12 monkeys probably that it's not a time travel movie probably we haven't recorded that part yet Jason. no you, no 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 that's right it's all to come monty ashley is also here monty i suspect is going to f- like primer or primer as much as i do I like time travel movies because they have lots of rules. Rules are important. I love diagrams. Ooh. Even if the diagrams aren't exactly right, <laughs> I like My them. favorite part of Back to the Future is when they stop the movie to show a diagram of what's <laughs> happened. Nothing like a good chalkboard sequence. That is. It's the best. It's the best. So I don't know where to begin with these three movies that are the, the ones that I told you to see. Um, I The earliest is 12 Monkeys. Uh, which I just watched again last night. Um, and I want to talk about 12 Monkeys, Looper, and and Primer in turn, Primer, Primer. There's a whole convoluted, you can call it either one. It, Shane Carruth, the director, says that it was supposed to be called Primer. And he got, because that's what the word means, is a you know a, an instruction manual, basically, to teach you how to do something. But everybody called it Primer instead of Primer. So he gave up. <laughs> so really call <laughs> it whatever <laughs> just like primer fine what but that's not the word and i do want to talk about time travel in general are, are these movies these movies have um different takes on time mechanics i mean every time travel movie is different back to the future is uh you know a fade away when you change the timeline kind of thing the reason i wanted us to talk about 12 monkeys is um, having seen so many time travel movies, I really love the fact 
that 12 Monkeys has a really kind of hard definition of time travel, which is that there's only one timeline. Things only are ever um, what they are. Everything is inevitable. It's kind of really depressing in 12 Monkeys because you know, at some point Bruce Willis just says, you're, you're all dead to me already. You're all going to die. It doesn't matter. Um, but I like that 12 Monkeys doesn't go in for any of this sort of like, well, wait a second, that's a paradox, like the Doctor Who kind of thing, where you're like, you, you don't even know anymore. It's like it, it, the time paradoxes beat you down until you can't complain anymore. And in 12 Monkeys, it's like, no, one set of things happens. It always happened. The first scene of the movie is the last scene of the movie. And um, th- that's what that's what I appreciated about 12 Monkeys is I, I really like its perspective on time travel. You thought it was the hardest of the, I would I thought that primer or primer it was it has the hardest uh take on time travel and that 12 monkeys was artistic license and it was it was it was huh. fanciful artistic license because they wanted it to be like they didn't want to go for the happy ending but like it's like they punted they weren't going to do anything like it's a time travel movie yes but well i think first, i like its purity i like the purity that, that of saying there is only one timeline and you don't even need to wrap your head around it. everything that is going to happen happened if you send somebody back in time they're going to do what they did there's only one stream and everything is in that stream and there's no changing anything and i thought that was interesting because yeah because because primer is not like that at all <laughs> right <laughs> but if you're going to have a movie where there's only one timeline. I want more complicated things to have happened than in 12 Monkeys. It only really loops in on itself once, and I want to get really complicated nonsense. Well, I I don't think they need it to do lots of looping stuff because the time travel part of 12 Monkeys is is like less important, I think, than... uh, Because it's unlike... Unlike the other movies, there is no authoritative voice in the movie explaining to you how time travel works. You have these crazy scientists who... You're not sure about the competence of the scientists in quotes. <laughs> you have a crazy, you have a crazy person who, at various points, what they do, what they do more in Twelve Monkeys than in a time travel movies, they do the unreliable narrator thing. He's like, wait mm-hmm. a second, maybe there is no time travel, and this guy is really nuts. And they don't go heavily into that, but that it's more of that kind of movie than it is a time travel movie. Uh, he is no, consistent nobody, in yeah, being he, he, crazy when he jumps, and then he sort of gradually becomes less crazy, which I liked. It's like a symptom of being displaced. Right. Is he is nuts? But he is the main voice of like, because he says you're already dead to me, because he says you can't change. He is our, he's the only person we have telling us the rules of time travel in this movie for the most part. And are we supposed to believe him? Oh, nothing I can do is change it. You're all going to die anyway. What does he know about time travel? He's, has he been told this by authoritative people? We're not even sure. Uh, it, but it's mostly because they didn't want to have, like, that's not what the story is about. The story is about this guy and it's about like the audience's hope that the world will be saved and the director's desire not to have that happen, which I find pleasing and and makes it a fun movie for me. Uh, But it's almost like time travel is not an important part of this movie. And it's just a, it's kind of like they could have just had a regular movie shot out of sequence, like with a Pulp Fiction type thing and had the same type of effect. You didn't need to have time travel. (laughs) See, for me, I have this thing where I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of all genres of sci-fi, but time travel is something that will always suck me in in any medium. And I feel like 12 Monkeys sucks most of the fun out of time travel. It takes a very (laughs) sort of basic take on it with no fancifulness, which I am craving. And I don't know. I, I saw that movie knowing nothing about it, if you can imagine me not knowing anything about a movie. Shocking. And... 
uh, I was not surprised by it. I like to be surprised by time travel too. Like I want to be surprised by what's possible, but it, it's sort of, I, I don't want to call it exactly predictable, but it feels too pat. I think there's too fine a point on it. I can see that. I mean, it is directly predictable in that you can see that first scene and kind of expect what's going to happen, although they try to misdirect you. But like right. what, I, what I liked about it is that it was a straight line. And I, I've seen so many twisty time travel movies that I don't know, there's something about seeing something that's a little bit a little bit uh, more straightforward. I also like the fact that he goes back and forth and that, you know, it's not that he's unstuck. He's, he's just kind of alternating back and forth. Uh, I don't know. You know, also it's one of the more coherent Terry Gilliam movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was one of, it's one of his most conventional movies. And yeah. I think the things that are good about it are the Gilliam things. Like it, it has charm yes. and character and wackiness. I think it has one of the best crazy Brad Pitt performances, which he, he came to do many performances that were like that. But mm. I think this is one of the best ones. Really? Bruce Willis is, yeah, I like, I really like Brad Pitt's crazy person performance in this. It's sort of like, is the baseline for Crazy Brad Pitt and other movies where he's done similar things that have annoyed me more. I thought this one was charming because, like, that's what these movies are supposed to be like. They're It's not time bandits, right? But it's a little bit wacky, a little bit dark, a little bit weird. And that's what's interesting about this movie. And I think the weakest part of this movie, rewatching it, is the parts that try to be like a regular Hollywood movie, like the female love interest. And yeah. her, her character arc is not believable and silly. And no. she seems like she's from another movie and you don't care about that. You just want to see wacky scientists guys and and bruce willis not knowing what's going on and him failing to save the world like that's what i want to see i love the scientists too the, the, that's a gilliam moment that that yeah. almost right out of brazil that i love is the rig that they they put him in that high chair and there's the weird rig with the monitors on it and the various british actors are, are... <laughs> yeah there's a shot of them all looming over him that's just like a shot in brazil yeah where they yeah. sing, I mean, yeah. yeah. They have the big painting hanging over to give him something pleasing to look at because that's yeah. all they have. And they live underground and they're in these terrible cages and he's some kind of criminal. And How the time travel happens without special effects or without any sort of pomp and circumstance for the most part is refreshing. I really you know? like, and I don't think I noticed this the first time I watched this movie, I really like how when he first tries to escape, he ends up at, a, at like a, a CAT scan. And uh, it's the big tube that they're sticking a guy into, and he really recoils at that. And then later we see, oh, that's pretty much how they do the time travel: is they put, they wrap him in plastic and and shove him into a tube. Yeah. Plastic is essential part of their technology. Clearly, the clear plastic, clear plastic environment yeah. suits. Oh, like the electroids. They they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to be a, a, a silly movie and be wacky and everything, but they do want to have time travel, but they don't want to explain it in any way. And so, like they they kind of try to walk a line between don't take this seriously, but do take it seriously because, like you know, it's the type of movie where like look, they are the human race has been beaten down to the point where they're living underground, and this is the time they discover time travel. That's not how you know it makes no sense, right? But but it's not the type of movie you're not supposed to think about that. Desperate times, John, call for desperate time travel measures, <laughs> but. Would it still be plausible? Because, I mean, part of the, the, the in seeing the movie is like, is Bruce Willis's character crazy or not? Right. And if they had a whole thing where, like, they explain this is how time travel works and he understands it and he knows how he's going to be traveled, you know, transported back. Right. Like they never get into that. He's just back whenever, you know, at some arbitrary amount of time. I mean, if they explained that, wouldn't that kind of I, I feel like that would kind of weaken the question that the first half of the movie asks in terms of like, is he crazy or not? Right. I feel like by by keeping it vague, it makes it to a certain extent unclear. Yeah, it's it's unreliable narrator more than time travel paradoxes and stuff. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I really like 12 Monkeys, but it's really unclear what type of movie it is, right? Is it a science fiction movie? Is it a time travel movie within the science fiction genre? Is it a dark comedy? Is it this weird love story that's tacked in there? Also, It's like, it's all these things, which I think are interesting, but it's kind of jumbled and, and unclear. I love this movie. Uh, I really do. But I think you're right. I think, And I think, uh, I think John hit on it too, which is in some ways the time travel time travel in 12 monkeys is the way they do the out of sequence storytelling that ever since pulp fiction pretty much every other movie does and except in 12 monkeys it's telling a linear story uh from bruce willis's perspective but it's not linear in terms of time which i think is kind of interesting without it being the point of the movie because the point of the movie isn't that the point of the movie is this inevitability that he's you know, there are lots of non-time travel movies where the protagonist is in- inevitably going to reach his destination, and you, maybe there's been a, 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 a you know, a flash forward, or, or or it's told in flashback. And here, you know, instead, time travel is the device that that we use to basically say humanity is hurtling toward a disaster, um, and then what what caused it, and then you have to wonder. So, the, you know, it, it's a different use of time travel where it's sort of not the point; it's almost just like a narrative device to tell the story. But I do like this movie, and I I love. Um, some of Terry Gilliam's movies, and I, I, you know, when I mentioned it earlier, I, I really mean it. One of the things I like about this movie is that it is Gilliam buttoned down just enough that um, he didn't write it. That's some, well, yeah, some of his excesses are not on display, but it's still interesting. I like the surreality of the beginning part, and I because I think it sort of illustrates the uh, unreliable narrator because. Maybe they are perfectly normal scientists, and maybe this is a perfectly normal facility, but maybe we're perceiving it through Bruce Willis's eyes and going, okay, this is really weird, and he's freaking out, and then all of a sudden he's in the past. David David Peoples, by the way, who who wrote Blade Runner and Unforgiven is the co-writer of this movie, so it's an interesting screenwriter, too. Has anybody seen the the French film that it's based on? That's Mm -hmm. on YouTube, I believe. I have. La Jete. La Jete. No. Nope. No, nobody has seen that movie. I, I, I have. I have. I, I uh, have a link to it, in fact. The users of Sitting YouTube right have here. seen it, and they've left <laughs> terrible comments about the actors on it. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting. It's, well, it's all, it's all done in photographs. He couldn't, the, the guy who made it couldn't get a film camera. So it's all, it's like a Ken Burns action film. Wow. Because it's like sliding across photographs and zooming in and zooming out yeah does not sound appealing no <laughs> it's like french new wave uh with more action than some of those movies yeah i don't know so so i liked i like this movie a lot that's why that's why i tossed it in here and I, i'm intrigued by the way that it uses time travel but it's not a movie about time travel so you know. I liked it a lot more when I saw it when it was released because I guess I was a lot younger. And now I'm still charmed yes. by it, but now I see that it has problems. I, I, I'm right there with you. This was a five-star kind of movie when it came out for me. And now when I look at it, I, I, I'm that's exactly it. I'm charmed by it, but some of the stuff in, in Madeline Stowe, you know, she's, she's nice and all, but her character is a, kind of a disaster because she never does she outside of the first five minutes she's on screen i think she never does anything that makes any sense that any human being would ever behave the way that she does 
And she doesn't act like an, uh, someone in a Terry Gilliam movie. If, if she did that, then it'd be like, oh, right. Right, she doesn't act like a normal person, but she's wacky and crazy. She's, well, she's just like she's like from another movie. She has no inkling <laughs> that he might actually be from the future for a very long time. And then all of a sudden she believes it. And it's like her arc is not. Yeah, and that's that's OK yeah. when she gets there that she might start believing it. But she's like sticking around with this guy. And I never believe that she's doing it because she. You know, right. she's Strange. she's just a bleeding heart who wants to make sure he's taken care of. I just I never get that from her. There's the little hook of like she remembers him from somewhere, but like it, it's it's not enough. Right. It doesn't. She would never remembered him because the child actor they got to play Bruce Willis looked nothing like him. And that happens later. And that child was Joseph Gordon. No, no. <laughs> I feel bad that I don't like 12 Monkeys more because I love time travel movies. I love Terry Gilliam. I like Bruce Willis. I like Brad Pitt. Can't stand this movie. <laughs> wow. And I blame Brad Pitt because he just really gets on my nerves. He's acting. I don't think he's acting like a crazy person. He's acting like somebody acting crazy. He's, he's, a acting, lot of like, caffeine. he's acting like crazy Brad Pitt, which is different. Yeah. <laughs> crazy Brad Pitt is a thing. He, he thinks that crazy is you talk really fast and you repeat some of your dialogue. But I, I, I'm not charmed by I'm not charmed by his performance. Well, his, either. I think his his. Eh. His gestures and his physical comedy in this with his wacky stuff, but he's not believable. It's not like in a serious movie he would be a crazy guy. He's a crazy guy. You know? He's crazy for comedy. It's a stra- stagey, stagey performance, right? That hospital yeah, yeah, needs yeah. to get him into his own room because nobody's getting any sleep. No and sleep. No one's going to get better. <laughs> no, what is what is wrong, hospital? Plus, he gets a key from somewhere. How does that happen? <laughs> I don't want to know where he got it either. Plus, you know, like present day Philadelphia and Baltimore don't actually look that much worse than post-apocalyptic underground. Yeah, seriously, I was, I was trying to think of like, where did they shoot this? They have to. They it's all, set, it's all shot in like this? power plants. It's it's all. There's no like they had no sound stages for stuff. It's all power plants. And well, they had like a big building buildings. with like pillars on it somewhere, and they put like homeless people just all over. It. Like, would would a building that nice have that many homeless people swarming on it? Spoiler: Philadelphia. <laughs> All right. Um, remind me. Remind me not to visit. Any other thoughts about Twelve Monkeys before we we move on to another bit of time travel? Could use more monkeys. more monkeys. More monkeys. <laughs> There's a lot of monkeys. People speculate there are twelve monkeys in it. There are some monkeys. Maybe he used too many monkeys. There's a lot hmm. of monkeys. There's the monkey that goes down the hole, which is like you know, must be a parallel for you know Bruce uh, Willis. Wasn't that a continuity error too? For the one guy said the sandwich is in tinfoil, but it's actually in a plastic bag. Yes. Well, like, that's an unreliable... You're going to take the word of like a guy hanging outside a mansion? Well, the rumors that's weren't you, true. That's where you get your news? The rumors <laughs> weren't true. They they didn't actually lower a monkey with a tinfoil I am sandwich. prepared to defend almost all nitpicks of 12 monkeys. To the, you know, you they know. fired monkeys into the time gate in Southland Tales. Maybe this is in the same universe. You know, one of the things I like about this movie is the... Um, is the appearance... And, and they, they overplay it a little bit. In a scene that, again... I, does not resemble the president present the presentation of an academic paper that exists in any universe where Madeline Stowe's got her various slides that she's speaking to a wrapped, yeah. mostly empty room of psychiatrists, historians. I don't even know what, but I like the idea that these guys in the future have been just randomly shooting people through history, trying to get information and the, and that they're the source of these uh, tales of the apocalypse from history i always thought that was kind of fun yeah they're not very good yeah. at the joke you know science isn't an exact science right <laughs> right right on the money cut to you know you're in the trench warfare in france yeah the whole idea of getting information from the from the past by like 
recovering like the only things that survive, which is like some lady's answering machine, you know, or yeah. voicemail from some random thing. Like, cause that's all they have to go on. Right. And well, so, they didn't plan for it. Right. It's no yeah. one plans for the apocalypse. That's the well, problem. After the first guy comes back, you'd think they'd come up with a better plan than leave a message on this answering machine. If it's after we've gotten the phone number, and they can do time travel, but they can't do, you know, anything else that's sophisticated or interesting. It's easy to leave a message for the future. You just sketch it on a rock or something. Well, I think they, they knew what answering machines they had access to, and so they said, call this one. <laughs> and I mean, that makes sense. And then I, that, that's one of those rare time travel, real time travel moments in this movie is where Bruce Willis leaves his message, and then immediately his buddy, John Cena from Homicide, who I really didn't like on Homicide, um, <laughs> is, is, is appears, and he's like, yeah, we got your message. It's like, ah, yeah, time travel movie. There and he is. hands him the ridiculous, like, Cowboy gun. gun. Here's a gun yeah. that you need yeah. for something. Seeing the airport dated that movie so much. Oh, I like, know. That's <laughs> it. Two metal detectors, and he's handing him a gun while they go down the escalator, and everything. You know, <laughs> they could fight your way through the security line. That whole scene is shot in the Philadelphia Convention Center, um, mm-hmm. and I've been to conferences there. And you walk down that big hallway with mm. the stairs on either side. Do you hear the it's, little accordion music as you're walking? There's no accordion <laughs> music, and it's much better lit. Um, but you know. <laughs> You know, they've gotten much better at sending people into time once they send John Cena, because they sent him to exactly the right square foot and well, it's, it's, a, it's a shotgun approach. You know how many times he's been sent and where how many right. people they sent. You don't know. But we don't know that. He could have been hanging around. He has been eating sandwiches at that yeah. airport for like <laughs> six months. I'd watch yeah. that movie. <laughs> it's the terminal. Twelve sandwiches. I mean, him showing up is neat from a time travel, but it doesn't quite make sense in terms of, like, what is Bruce Willis actually supposed to do? Yeah. Like, Dude, take this by, gun. That, by that point in the movie, the audience is, is still, is like, you moved on to the Bruce Willis has to save the world, because that, like, yeah. that's, that's, what, that's what the Disappointment. audience yes, Right, but that's can. what they're playing on. At a certain point, it, they, the movie makes you believe that it will be possible for Bruce Willis to save the world, and that it takes that away, which is what, what's charming about it. <laughs> See, if you're a scientist, the first thing you do when you have time travel is find out if you can change the past. They should have found that out before sending Bruce Willis back. Yeah. Maybe they could have. He just screwed it up. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he's just bad Apocalypse. at Apocalypse. They're, they're doing the best they can. They're not the best scientists. They're the only scientists. Oh, and that's, that's, by the way, before we move off this movie, that is actually my favorite part of this movie is in the very end sequence when you've got, what's his name with the ponytail, going through David security. David Morse. Yeah. Yeah. And they want and they, you know, at this point, you're still waiting for Bruce Willis to save the world. And he's got the the woman and they're going to go off together or whatever. And they think the 12 monkeys were just letting the animals out. No big deal. And they the guy insists on seeing the stuff and they're doing that tension thing. You think it's to be like, oh, don't worry. It's going to break or something. And the guy asks him to open. He says, sure, pop. And like, that's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. He opens the thing up before the actual end of the movie. Yeah, that's true. Everything. Right. That was the great gut punch of like the world nope, is over. Not, it's right not going to be that kind of movie, and it's not actually the end of the movie because we still have the stakes of like Bruce Willis and what happens to him or whatever. That I love that. I love that. That's a, definitely a Terry Gilliam thing. It's like we're not going to save that as a big dramatic reveal. We're not going to have a scene where we build tension, but he just puts the vials away. He's going to pop that sucker open and let the guy smell it. Game over. And then everything else, like he's just off to travel the rest of the world. Like at that point, you know uh, things are not going well. So I, I really like that. And then the scientist on the airplane has that great line. I'm in insurance. Yeah. No, I like that. That's that moment of, that's your yeah. little moment of hope, right? Is that yep. now they figured it out. The end. <laughs> or maybe, or not. I guess some people speculate that that scientist is there to maintain the position of authority that the scientists have in mm. their, you know, dystopian future where they get to, you know, hang out and, you know, behind tables and yell at inmates. I, I prefer um, to believe that that's the shows that Bruce Willis, you know, even though he died, he succeeded in, in, uh, 
saving, you know, getting them the information they needed to figure out what caused the, the virus. But you can be, it's, come on, give me a little shred of hope in this bleak. So you prefer the, the Bruce Willis as as Christ figure interpretation of 12, 12 Monkeys. Sure. 12 Monkeys will be back in 11 Monkeys. <laughs> 13 Monkeys. Do you not know how this no, works? No, it's going back. No, we kill, we kill a monkey every time until there are no more monkeys. The hope at the end of this movie is that the animals rule the world and they're happy and finally all those people are gone and they get to run around these cool buildings. That's the happy I thing. think that lion is not going to like a winter in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, no. He was there in the winter in the zoo anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The end of 12 Monkeys is essentially Planet of the Apes in John's mind. <laughs> Planet, Planet of the, of the Apes Planet, and Planet of the Giraffes. And that would be a much, much bigger makeup challenge, Planet of the Giraffes. Mm. Yeah. You, you there, Lex? I am here, yes. Well, I, no, I like when I, when I do I want to thank our sponsor. And when I do that, I like to have people uh, with me on this journey because I think it's a much more interesting thing when we're, when we're talking about the sponsor together. And, and I, I know that you are um well versed in 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 hover i am it's true hover is an excellent uh company where they've got uh you can get your own domain they're a domain name registrar that's right that you get your own domain and it can be not just .com um although i and you think all the .coms are gone i went i went on hover the other day and and registered a .com in about 2 minutes i got it paid for it and it was it was uh visible in my web browser in like less than five minutes and and here's the thing you might have noticed is that unlike many competitive competing registrars you did not get interrupted with a million upsells along the way like pay extra for privacy guard and pay extra for faster registration and whatever they don't they don't do the upsells at hover which is nice i was impressed that it, it's a it's a very simple easy to use i mean i've registered a lot of domains at a lot of different registrars over the years um and going to hover it was like I said, it was super easy and fast, and and, uh, and I appreciate that. Plus, they've got, I mean, I mentioned .com, but they've got all the domain endings, the .co's, the .tv's, just about anything you can think about. So, you, so if you've got something like I registered a domain for um, for the book that I'm writing because I'm gonna wanna I'm gonna wanna promote it when when I publish it, and it, it took no time at all. Um, and you can do all that DNS machinations to set it up to point to a specific server, or it's also got like easy redirect support where you check a box and put in a URL you want to redirect your domain to and boom, it's done. And that's what I did. And it was, it was done in minutes. Um, and then they also offer, um, they offer email services so that you can, for, for, um, a really low price add-on, you can add in email addresses or even uh, blanket email addresses for domains. So if you want to receive email, you can do it uh, and have them all forward to your Gmail account or any other account that you've got, which I think is pretty cool. So basically, it's trying to, if you want to have that place on the web that you can point to, with Hover, um, it, it, it demystifies all of that. You don't have to go through the rigmarole. It used to be back in the old days when when I registered my first domain, it was like cracking... Uh, cracking a code and like a you'd need a time travel scientist from 12 monkeys to figure it out <laughs> and you know the the truly magical thing with hover besides the fact that you know it's got that non it's got a nice design it's the rare domain name registrar that isn't totally cluttered as you look at it but when you call them and they're open from 8 a.m to 8 p.m eastern time when you call them at their toll-free number you never hear music a human being answers the phone an actual right. human you don't have to leave a message that the people in the future after the apocalypse will get. And <laughs> <laughs> I use their um, their their what, their valet transfer service. So you call them up and you say, "Here's the domain I want to transfer from this other crappy registrar, and I want to transfer it to you." And Hover's like, "Okay, we'll take care of it." And they do it all. They do all the work for you, so you don't have to do anything. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about Hover was um, they are part of Two Cows, which has been on the in the Mac community for ages now. They've been around since '94. If you remember Two Cows, the website and shareware reviews and things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they are they've become one of the largest domain registrars in the world. But their, their humble beginnings were actually um, very Mac friendly kind of beginning, and they're and they're uh, they're still. Uh, very nice people, but uh, there there are people, and now they've become this wild success in this other area. So, uh, Lex, now is the time where I should probably give everybody the secret code, which is also my favorite URL on the entire internet this week. What is that URL? It, I'm glad you asked, Lex. It is hover.com slash incomparable. What do I get if I go there? Do you know? I do. You get 10% off of whatever you buy using that code. 10% off. Wow. You just put it put it in. Uh, you can also, if you go just to Hover.com, you can put in the code incomparable. But the easiest way, it'll automatically be applied to your order, Hover.com slash incomparable. So if you've got a domain, you don't want to fool around with stuff. You've already got a web host somewhere else, maybe. You can register with Hover, get that domain that you want, and even just set it to forward and start there. And, and you don't have to configure any crazy DNS, anything. And you can get your website up and running, and then you can add some email to, to it. And uh, you, you no longer have to be just some guy at gmail.com. You can have your whole, uh, any domain you want, as long as somebody else doesn't have it. But they're out there. I got a .com. I got a .com. I thought they were all gone. I thought literally every alphabetical combination in .com was taken, and it's not. So, so thanks to Hover. And thank you, Lex, for coming along on my little Hover journey with me. But thanks to Hover for sponsoring The Incomparable. It's really great. And thanks to them for letting me register a domain in under five minutes without any hassle. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk about a, uh, a another Bruce Willis movie from of more recent vintage, which is Looper. This is Ryan Johnson's movie from, from uh, last year, from 2012. Um, I don't know what year you're listening to this podcast. You could be in the future or the past via time travel. We just don't know. But it was made in 2012, um, and it's Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And I saw this movie on home video. I didn't see it when it was out. There was a, there was a lot of buzz about it, and people really liked it. And and you know this this is the movie about the the time traveling hitmen. Let's just say the laws of time and space are not adhered to as firmly in Looper as in other movies we're talking about tonight. Would that be a fair assessment? Well, it has a set of rules, and it's very clear about them, but they're dumb rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're dumb rules. <laughs> as soon as they announce the rules, you're like... I like this movie a lot, but they're dumb rules. <laughs> yeah, just like I complained about the scientists and 12 Monkeys, I feel like the mafia in Looper could be taking much better advantage of the rules of the world they find themselves in. Well, they are criminals. Yeah. Organized crime. It's not that organized. Like 12 Monkeys, like uh, this is so kind of branded down to the title as a time travel movie. But the I think the reason people got excited about this movie is that it's a time travel movie and another kind of movie that you don't expect it to be. Right. So they have the, you know, the, the telekinesis thing. And like around midway through the movie, it shifts of like you thought this movie was about time travel. Actually, the superpowers. It's a kid and with superpowers on a farm. And that is like that is really the the focus oh, of the movie. Steel. Time travel, time travels, <laughs> practi- time travels pra- practically like just like a backdrop for the story of this kid. Um, yeah, and how much you're willing to buy into that, and how much you enjoy that. Do you just want a pure time travel movie? Do you just want a superpower movie? Do you want the mixed? Uh, it's it's an interesting mixture. It's done in I think the two the two genres are mixed together, not in a clumsy way, but more in like 
he didn't care that these two things, like these two tastes might not taste great together. They're going to be together and it's going to, you know, it's going to work out for the purposes of the story. I like the idea of you meeting your older self and the, the, the rules that have to be set up to the idea that we kill. I'm not quite sure. I understand all the mechanics of why they're killing who they're killing when they're killing them and the act of dumping people back in time to kill them and all of that. It seems that it seems like not a great use of time travel, but but what <laughs> I do a, like it's a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, I do. I do like though the that it sets up this you know young Joe and old Joe meeting and interesting scenes with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis, and also I enjoy that fast forward of sort of like here's what would have happened if you had killed him. Then this is the life that you would have led, which is what leads him back. Although, again, I, I have that moment of like, well, wait, but if he came back and now he didn't kill him, why is he still here? And are these parallel universes? But no, they're not because if you kill yourself, then things disappear. And I, right, there's you know. no paradoxes. Paradoxes are prohibited in this universe. Sure. <laughs> well, but what about things like somebody watching his fingers disappear? Yeah, like that's, that's a great comparison with, uh, with Back to the Future. With, with, yeah. with, no, but with Back to the Future, like that's a great comparison because they both did very similar things where like things that are going on now somehow affect the past, which affect you in your current situation, which really makes no sense. But for some reason, like in a, in a silly, you know, kind of adventure comedy romp movie like Back to the Future, fine. The guy's hand fades out while he's playing guitar. Everyone's fine with it, right? In this movie that was trying to be so like, here are our rules or whatever, that is perhaps the dumbest rule that somehow because we've got your other self and we cut off his fingers, now you find yourself back in the exact same position you had been before. We did, like Everything else happened exactly the same. The only difference is now you don't have your fingers. You would never be in the same position, in the same situation <laughs> no. if you didn't have your fingers. And you wouldn't remember, yeah. you, you, would, you would be like, oh, I always didn't have a finger. Instead yeah, of being like, like, holy cow, I lost a finger. Well, no, you always didn't have a finger. And it's the same And it's the same rules, more or less, as Back to the Future, but totally does, does not work in this movie. That rule doesn't work here. I didn't like the finger stuff, but I totally was on board with, yeah, okay, I'm going to scar myself now so that my older self can suddenly get the message. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's, and that also seems like a, like a really bad, like, yeah. it, it makes leaving messages on answering machines look like, look civilized. <laughs> it, it's, it's a cool idea. Yeah. It's you know it's so much easier in Bill and Ted when they're like we're just going to remember to do this later right right <laughs> yeah yeah it was a cool idea but uh, it didn't make a whole lot of sense I mean I, the way it's executed in the movie is fascinating right it's like oh my god look what's happening I just feel like it would be easier to take the guy you want to kill and send him back in time into a volcano put him into the ocean yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. or just you know yeah, kill him you, right you, there you, where you've got him just or kill not, well, kill pe- they, not kill they people. They have that one line that says why they can't do that. That doesn't make sense when you think I about know, volcanoes or the ocean. But, yeah. I mean, but that's that's kind of why I find it refreshing that by the end of the movie, like people are being torn apart by telekinesis. I'm like, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I did like the one scene in the diner where Bruce Willis just said, eh, "It's complicated." Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to make diagrams and stuff. It'll be yeah. no like, fun. It's fun in Back to the Future too, where he makes a diagram. But the idea that they made us think they were going to explain the rules and then just said. Well, he didn't want to explain like paradoxes and timelines. They had established the rules, but it's like, but wait a second. And like the person in the movie is about to consider the dumb rules. And Bruce Willis says, don't think about the dumb rules. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) I like Bruce Willis in this, too. I I think he's he's got this, you know, he's he's tired and he's kind of an old lug and he's got regret and. You know, there are a lot of things I liked. I liked about him in this movie. It is weird when it turns into Chronicle 
toward the end where it's all, you know, or the X-Men, it's all this telekinesis and a showdown at a farm and it, and it didn't go where I expected it. And I liked the novelty of that, but, um, I don't know I, this for a movie, maybe the bar was set too high for me going in. And so my expectations were just raised, but I, I, I came out of this movie thinking it was kind of a mess and I, I, I liked parts of it, but I'm not sure I liked it as a whole and that maybe it was just overhyped. And maybe that's the reason I felt that way. Yeah, I'm not going to be like, oh, I liked his older albums, but Brick was, yeah, Brick is I enjoyed mm. so much mm-hmm. more than this movie. And I thought Brick was just fantastic. And I even like Terriers, which apparently he also did an episode of looking <laughs> at his IMDb page. But I yeah, like but, this a lot more than Brick, but Brick just... What about the brother, the Brothers Bloom? Nobody, no fans of that either? I, I like that one. I very also. much liked that. Yeah. Haven't seen it. You should see it. All right. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And you should see Brick if you haven't, because I, I really like that. I think it's worth watching. It's very, it's kind of, maybe it's like a one-trick pony, but that trick is really good. Everybody but me really likes it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Monty go. hates 12 monkeys, so take that as you right. want. <laughs> <put> that... <laughs> I like real film noir, not... <laughs> see, no, I didn't no. object... Well, I, I didn't object to Looper's really lousy time travel rules because I, I like that it at least seemed to to stick to them. The thing that took me out of the movie a bit, besides that third act where it's now all about superheroes instead, uh, <laughs> but was this notion that um, I, I don't like when the same person in, from two different times uh, fights with himself because I, I don't know. I feel like if my future self came to me, I could be very quickly convinced that we were the same person. You would just and make that, out the whole time, Lex. Right. I, would, <laughs> we would spend most of the time kind in like, passionate embrace. But no, I, I feel like there's it doesn't make any sense to fight with your future self. To me, that is a paradox much more than anything else in the movie. It doesn't make sense. you got to get along. If my future self came here, we'd just sit in a corner, talk about how we're both the only two people who don't like brick, and we'd be high-fiving the whole time. <laughs> would you, do you think you'd have much to say, though? It would be, you know... That's the thing. You already know what you're going to say. Tell me it's about the like, future. I know what I'm going to say now, and I still like hearing myself say it. <laughs> wow, you just blew my mind. <laughs> you just explained podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt did a good job making Bruce Willis's face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does Grimace. that facial expression that Willis does a lot. That was good. Job. Yeah, that sort of squinting thing. Yeah, I bought him as like... the younger Bruce Willis, which... In a lot of movies like this, you don't buy. Right. And he had to do yeah. the work where they did some makeup and then he also had to do acting because that's what it really is, is Joseph Gordon-Levitt is trying to be young Bruce Willis here. Bruce Willis is yeah. not trying to do anything. But yeah, be Bruce, Bruce Willis, Willis just shows up. It's like, oh, yeah, Bruce it's not Willis. like Face Off where you have two characters trying to meet in the middle. Right. Nothing's like Face Off. No, Bruce Willis is <laughs> just, it's Bruno, I've returned and that's it. You just have to go with it. I also like that they should have new parents watch this movie if you want to know what it's like when kids have tantrums. Oh God, yes. Blood everywhere. Yeah don't have time to watch looper they have their kids having tantrums <laughs> they can watch the last half just skip to the end they can watch it in 10 minute installments over <laughs> a w- couple of weeks that's why new parents hate people who don't have kids because people who don't have kids are all i saw this movie called looper yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would actually kind of like that movie like i like that the idea of a you know you we had kids with superpowers and teenagers with super what about like toddlers with superpowers because that seems like a much bigger problem Mm-hmm. Yeah, Baker wrote a great strips. Uh, Superman's babysitter. Go search searching for that. It's great. It's the <laughs> problems a babysitter has with Superman the toddler. <laughs> One of the things I did like about Looper was that, you know, it. So you have the time travel. You have the the sort of mutant superpower kid, but you also have film noir, and you also have like uh, Shane, basically. You know, your hero defending the the woman and the child, and um, 
I kind of like that it it did take that um, Shane template and then uh, resolved it in a way that Shane would never have done. Although the kid would still go, come back. Um, <laughs> trying not to spoil it, but you know. Don't worry, we'll play the spoiler horn at the end of the episode. Did you notice in 12, in 12 Monkeys that when Bruce Willis says, all I see are dead people? I don't remember if that movie was before or after Sixth Sense. It's before. It was before. before. Or, or maybe it was after. Oh, it was whoa. both. It depends yeah. what timeline you're in. All right. I, I did find it interesting, too, that uh, both 12 Monkeys and Looper uh, don't just deal with time travel, but the idea that time travel screws up your brain, right? Right. He's crazy in 12 Monkeys. And he's kind of losing his mind the longer he's in the past in Looper, which is weird, but I like it. Well, you know, the idea that time travel is a really bad idea. Yes. So On so many levels. Yeah. And then the organized crime comes in and they put their own bad idea of how to do time travel on top of the bad idea. I feel like in addition to the just the, the general idea of sending people back in time not being a great idea, it's like, why have people in charge of killing themselves? That seems like just like, that's an administrative decision that they made that i don't agree with it's so easy to send you back to someone who won't have a moral problem with killing yeah it seems like you know like there's 30 other guys they (laughs) they have a ready supply of those people yeah they use one of them i i would kill them in the future and send the body back to the ocean and then done or i feel like if you have time travel you could probably make a whole lot of money without going to all the effort of being the mob yeah yes betting on horse races Well, they only have time. Well, I guess, yeah, we don't know. Do they only have time travel in one direction or something weird? Yeah, the the whole idea, um, I was actually let down by the idea of the Rainmaker who's consolidating all the gangs. Mm -hmm. And I thought that Mm -hmm. was going to be an interesting, you know, this is why this is accelerating. But it it was sort of shadowy. And then at the end, we get this revelation of like, oh, the the kid is going to grow up to be the Rainmaker. uh, Or is he? And See, I kind of wanted the uh, other kid to be the Rainmaker. Yeah, I, I was yeah. just like, okay, yeah. Because that would have been a nice twist. It will, And it was the law of the economy of characters, too, happening there, yeah. where it's like, well, who could it be? They're, you know, it's the people we've known, apparently, because it has to be somebody we've known. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I don't think it was a bad movie, but it didn't, you know, people were raving about it. And maybe I've seen too many time travel movies to be impressed. I, I saw it on like opening day and, and went into it not knowing too much about it. And I, I enjoyed it a lot. But, you know, I'd say it's one of the better science fiction movies I saw that year. Mm. But that, that is a, yeah. a low bar. Yeah, I thought it was really fun when I was <laughs> I think the next one of... in the line was like Prometheus or something. Yeah. You know? I thought it was really fun when I was walking out of it. And by the time I got home, I thought of a lot of plot holes. But it didn't really affect <laughs> my enjoyment during the movie itself. There's a lot of interesting right. stuff in there with their, you know, their funny rocket cars and, you know, these weird, yeah. you know, the guy that's set back from from the future to run the, the organized crime who's like kind of a big deal. But you get the idea that probably getting sent back in time is, you know, not exactly a, a yes, promotion. Like a demotion for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that yeah. character a lot. Um, yeah, that was really so good. there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. But, yeah, there's some stuff that doesn't that doesn't stick. Um, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the ending. I didn't expect the ending the way it was. I, I don't know if other people, you know, read that ahead, you know, 30 minutes into it. But. Thought that was clever. There's, there's a lot of moving parts in this movie. I feel like it had too much stuff in it. Like all those things we just mentioned: yes. like time travel, telekinesis, rocket cars, organized crime. Uh, <laughs> you love, love this love interest, child in danger, motherhood. Like you could remove a whole bunch of those pieces and and make the and like the individual scenes were good. You know, the crime boss, the guy in trouble with the crime boss. Like those scenes were fine, but like 
it was like now we're gonna have one of those scenes and now we're gonna have yep. a scene like this and now we're gonna have a scene from this movie and it's just but by, by the end of it yeah. like why does the kid have to be a telekinetic monster why can't he just be like really good at running organized crime in the future right <laughs> oh that's that i would have kept that line up but i would have been like look you can't you can't also make a sort of film noir and also make a time travel movie also make an organized crime movie and also make a little you know shane type movie like you, you can't do all those well and so i would have concentrated on the ones that were the most interesting and sacrificed a bunch of others one one i i, I did like a lot of the acting in it you know i liked that bruce willis actually acted a little bit a little bit. He can do that and, sometimes. Uh, yeah. Because um, uh, Ryan Johnson has directed several episodes of Breaking Bad, including, I think, I'm pretty sure he directed the one uh, called Fly, which is just the two of them in a room and they never leave the room. And that's it. And I mean, there's just some really nice acting in that. So there were a lot of scenes in this that reminded me of that. But then I wanted to go see that instead because it's better. Ryan Johnson, in my opinion, is kind of a show-off. <laughs> yes. He would like you to know he is clever. And he is clever. <laughs> and he is clever. Yeah. We get it. You made a movie. <laughs> Time travel, gangster, telekinesis, film noir, Shane, rocket car movie. We got Ball it. space full of Krugerans. Well, if you guys want a movie that's just time travel, let me interest you in Primer. It's also less than 80 minutes long. <laughs> okay, Primer, Primer, whatever you want to call it. I thought we were only watching Bruce Willis time travel movies. Well, I mean, Bruce Willis plays, watched, he's, Bruce he's Willis plays the box. I watched Disney's <laughs> The Kid. Was that an accident? That was. Um, it was an accident on many levels. I watched Pulp Fiction, and I'm pretty sure they jumped back I'd be, and forth. I'd be happy to talk about Unbreakable, because I love that movie, but we probably should stick to the time travel theme. And I've been meaning to talk about Primer, or Primer, however you want to call it. Primer is correct. Uh, forever. <laughs> uh, you can call it whatever you like. Um, it's it, famously a 2004 movie directed, produced, starring, written, financed all $7,000 of it by Shane Carruth. Literally made this movie for $7,000. Bought his own equipment. And it shows. Uh, well, it, it's for $7,000, it's kind of amazing as good as it looks, but it's definitely a $7,000 movie. I, I really love this movie, but I also have no judgments against people who hate it because it is weird and it, it is hard to follow and it's mumbly and lots of things don't happen for a while. And then when things start happening, they happen in rapid succession and you go, whoa, what, wait a second, what happened? Um, but as a time travel movie, what I like about it is it feels to me um, appropriately confusing for time travel. I guess that's the <laughs> thing I liked about it. It is consistent in its own way and yet completely crazy in a way that I think time travel would be. So I like that about it. I'm interested what you guys think of, of, of Primer. That's why I was saying I thought it had the hardest rules of time travel because it was like, nah, time travel messes you up. It is confusing if you're an observer, a participant, anybody. It is it doesn't act in the way that you expect it to. Yeah. And it's <laughs> totally hardcore of like, we are, you know, and they even had scenes of like, here, we're going to show you with a pencil and paper how this thing works or whatever. But like, that's just within the context of the movie. Once people start time traveling, it's like, sorry, it's time travel. It's going to yeah. be confusing. And <laughs> it is. And the rules that they have yeah. is are... The, the rules are confusing, which I like too. Like the system they have laid out is a confusing system. Just you know, simply how the box works. It is not simple, even at its most basic level. Before it starts being explained, yeah. Before yeah. Before you before right. anyone even gets in the box, just explaining how the box works. Like understanding that rule system, and then it's like a game where they teach you a mechanic. Like here's how jumping works, and here's how weapon works. Right. 
and then they slowly ramp you up. This one is like, they teach you a mechanic, you don't understand the mechanic, and then they put you to the last level of the game. And before <laughs> they tell you that there's time travel in the movie, you're already on at least the third time through some of these yes. scenes. Yes, you think you're yeah. watching the discovery of it, and then realize that it's actually already been well discovered. I, I think that's debatable. I've seen the big chart and everything. I know right. you can you can see a lot of those early scenes as the first time through. Yes, and they yes, still yes, work yes. perfectly well because they do show you the same scenes. The, the original scenes, yes, but the first scene where Abe is up on the building looking down at Aaron, who's well, yeah, already right. got the headphone right. in. That's at least the third time that that scene has played out. Right, but you can. There's also an interpretation that works within the rules of the movie that the first time you see a lot of the scenes is actually not the first time that they occurred yeah. in, in the timelines because you know, in the times when things go well and the headphones go off without a hitch, <laughs> it looks the same as the first time. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. I like, um, and I know again there are reasons why people and I'm, I'm waiting because I know Lex didn't like this movie. Um, <laughs> things things that I, that I like about it is I, I like that it's a bunch of nerds who are trying to figure something out. I like that the idea that time travel might be invented in this completely random accidental way in an office park in Austin and or somewhere in Texas is it Austin? Uh, but it's seems like Austin. Yeah, we'll say it's Austin. Um, and and you know they they figure it out slowly. They think they're doing something else and then they're wondering and there's a, I, I think a nice scene when they when the, they go to the guy who's like this is months of growth on this penny or whatever it is weeble uh, weeble a weeble that's right um i like all of that 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 they they don't know what they're doing you know they, they just suddenly have this thing and then and then when we understand it and again it's a movie that nerds can love because it explains <laughs> it explains like in an interesting way, it's not a magic portal that you step through. You have to get in a box with an oxygen tank and wait there as you go back second by second. I kind of like that mechanic that it's it's really hard. It's weird. It's what, you know, it's perfectly reasonably what time travel would be when you discover time travel, which is not well, easy. I, I don't know if it's it's the fact that it's hard is, is realistic, but not the mechanics. I'm willing to give it a pass on that. But it's not real time travel, John. I know you know yeah. the secrets of the real right, time exactly. travel, but <laughs> that's how he looks so young. But it seems realish <laughs> to me that it would be weird and hard and that, that, that and not what we expect from the movies. And, and the idea that it's discovered by accident and yeah, I mean, this movie is very inaccessible. Inaccess the, the amount, oh, yeah. you know, just the the opening sequence with the the nerds who are wearing ties, sitting in a kitchen, putting <laughs> stuff into envelopes, and they're talking over each other, and they're mumbling. And there's four characters, two of whom we're not actually going to see that much. <laughs> yep. it's you know, there's yeah. there's a lot in that first like like twenty minutes that like I could see a lot of people pretty justifiably turning this movie off especially for a 78 minute movie yes. to spend 20 minutes of nothing happening yeah well that's why it works as a film festival movie though because film festival movies they love that you go yeah. in it's a bunch right. of people in a kitchen you don't know what it's about and then they hit you and the film festival people love that but you compare that to the final 20 minutes which is right about when they say yes maybe we can purposely affect the past and then things just go completely crazy and every idea the director had gets thrown in immediately and then the movie's over i i've seen this movie i think three or four times now the most recent time like two days ago when i was rewatching it i was feeling like really good like i'm finally getting it and then like you know i rewatched the last 12 minutes like yep twice and i yep. was like ah so close and yet no i don't you know it's like i've seen the chart and i could like replicate that chart for somebody but i could not construct that chart from my own viewing of the monster movie i've seen it like five or six times and every time it's like that where i get to the point and i'm like wait a second 
<laughs> you know, it's just like, oh no, well, it's I'm like, lost like now. I can look at the chart. When and be is like, he okay, in the yeah, ceiling? When do they step that him matches the ceiling? to what I've yeah. seen? It's like yeah. it's like if I was looking at like a math, you know, a math problem, and I'd be like, yeah, that solution makes sense, but I could never solve this problem. Well, but but on there my are own. but there are multiple possible solutions given the rules that's sets true. And the variables yeah. involved. Yes. There are multiple possible solutions that fit, and like, and I think I, the I chart gonna, assumes was, the simplest. Basically, I was going to say my favorite thing about the movie before, like, scrapped all over, but now I'm going to crap all over it a little bit. A lot of the problem with this movie, aside from like pacing and low budget and stuff like that, is that. Uh, a lot, and a lot of the reason it's hard to understand is that it fails to communicate the ideas that it wanted to communicate. Like if you watch the movie eight hundred times, you can see I can see in this scene this is what the director was trying to say, but mm-hmm. it does a bad job of communicating that. Either because they have a, an important conversation uh, and they only got one take of it, and they decide <laughs> to shoot it by by running water on like sixteen millimeter film. Film is expensive, man. You can't, man. Read, you I'm can't not read defend there. that scene. <laughs> I mean, he specifically said. This, I guess, this movie basically couldn't have been longer than eighty minutes because there just there was no other footage. Right, and they right. basically they did like maximum two takes of everything. Right. But so, you, so but like, you know. it it didn't even it didn't even succeed on the basic level of just communicating what it wanted to be communicated in the scene because of budget and because of you know experience and all those other things. And that is probably the worst thing about this movie. You can say like, there's a competence problem. It's and that contributes to its difficulty of understanding. The people who love the movie say, oh no, it, don't you understand? It's so awesome. It's so hard to understand. Sometimes it's hard to understand because <laughs> the guy did a bad job. Yeah. With the movie. Yeah. Right. Right, and that's that's my problem is that it's not I don't mind a movie where you have to work extra hard to understand it. I don't mind a movie where you get more out of it by watching it multiple times or even if you basically need to watch it multiple times to understand it. But I think that that was not necessarily their intent when they made this movie. I think it is a side effect <laughs> huh. of not just poor uh, filmmaking in the sense of it's a low budget. Like I think you could show somebody this movie and they would not necessarily recognize that it was made for $7,000. I think it's a testament to whatever guerrilla skills they had that they pulled off with they did i think it is a script that is flawed and uh i i get and i respect the notion of i'm gonna write this with um you know i'm not gonna pander to the audience i'm not going to make any of the <laughs> dialogue accessible <laughs> in the first half of the film this movie uh, is for sense. me i shot it i started it i paid for it it's for me <laughs> But you have to do something. You have to <laughs> and throw I have me a PhD bone. In math, maybe. <laughs> you know, I do a lot of multi-screen stuff. Uh, there's a lot of movies and television that I consume while I also have a laptop on my lap or an iPad in my hand. This is not and, the movie for you, right? So, the, yeah. the, you know, when I watched this movie the first time, I made that mistake. So when I rewatched it last week for this podcast, I said, you know, there will be no distractions. Nobody was home. The kids were all asleep. My wife was out, so it was just me and the TV. And I really got no further. I mean, I've I've read the charts. <laughs> I've read the articles. I've read the analysis. I don't want to work this hard yep. and it's not, it, it misses out on the enjoyable factor. Like I was talking before with 12 monkeys that there's some kind of innate fun to me in time travel. Even if it's a dark story, I want to, there's something, just something fun about it. And this is just a chore. This is just manual labor in movie form. Hey kids, do you ever think your movies didn't have the challenge of a crossword puzzle in them yet? Let's, I have let's, delicate let's hands. <laughs> this is one of my favorite movies and I've watched it so many times. I'm convinced I do know what happened in it. And I have a correction I'd like to make to that chart everyone's seen. But I will say, I noticed today while rewatching it, if I walk out of the room, I immediately can't understand anybody. Like, I have to be staring at the screen the yes. whole time. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, – Monty, I'm with you. This is this is one of my favorites as well. But it's not for everybody. It, it, one of the things I like about it is that I feel like it is internally consistent. I think, I think Lex and John are right that there is a combination of some – uh, incompetence or something like that of the director because he's new new to this that is part of it. But I do I do think absolutely that this is a movie that does not 
it's going to come to you on your own terms and it doesn't it just doesn't care if you don't understand it which i kind of I'm up for that challenge, and I feel like I, I do understand it more now, but I love that every time I go back to it, I, I get another nuance of it, and I love that it, it's telling a story that I haven't seen a million times before, or at least in a way that makes me feel like I haven't seen it yeah. a million times before. For, for such a short movie and for such a techie movie, I love the little extra things it puts in, like... I can see somebody's bleeding from the ear because time travel is hard on you, or maybe it's from spending all that time in a box full of argon. But then later <laughs> when they say, and I can't write anymore, I can see the shape oh, yeah. of the letters, but I can't make my hand do it. That's neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a disturbing thing to have happen to you. This movie is an interesting contrast with another movie that it's compared to a lot, uh, Memento, which has a similar structure where you got to pay attention to it uh, and you can't figure it out if you watch it enough. But Memento is like, if you had filled in all the gaps in the script that where someone should have said something they didn't, if you had shot it a slightly more complicated, because Memento, you watch it three times, you get it. Like, yep, it's, yeah. you know, it, you don't right. need a chart. You don't need to read articles, but you probably do need to see it more than one time. And maybe, and Memento has the amazing thing that the first time you see it, if you pay attention, you will believe you understand it by the end of it. And maybe you even will. That's not true of this movie at all. And so like you could, it's a similar approach to filmmaking that if you like that kind of puzzle movie, uh, Memento is kind of the easy listening, smooth jazz version, <laughs> and Primer is like the thrash metal or indie rock or REM in 1972. Well, whatever. see, I think the other piece there is that Memento you could re-edit, and people have. I think you can even get a DVD that does it. You can re-edit Memento in chronological order and understand what's actually happening, and I don't think you can do that with Primer. Not without additional voiceover, probably. Right. There's parts of Primer that don't happen in the movie. There's a guy that yeah, Charles Granger. Lots of it, lots of it future we never see. Yeah, there's a guy. Great. That's one of my favorite moments is that there's a guy who's obviously been using the box and they don't even know. Like, yeah, I mean, we have never seen him and they, he's been mentioned. But how how the hell did that happen? But they, and they, they and they're like, we're not we're not going to worry about that. That's just letting you know to let you know that things are unsettling. Things that's are not really like a, problematic. That is not a, that we're not going to solve that. That guy's not going to be okay yeah, or because, bad because, later because he's that's just, what it would be like if you were in that if you were in the yeah. situation where time travel is possible. Things would happen that you have no explanation for that don't make any sense, and that even though you know time travel is possible, you still can't understand how it got there. But like your your causality engine of trying to to ma- explain the world is broken. Because something happens and you can't even use like, but if he like, there's too many possibilities. Now. Yeah. And so that's why, I mean, that, that it's the same thing with the, with the sort of obtuse voiceovers. Why doesn't, why does the voiceover say everything? Like, why doesn't it come out and say anything? Why is it all kind of like, I'm apologizing to myself on an answering machine about something that happened that we both already know. So I don't have to spell it out. Like <laughs> the, the voiceover being like that is part of the challenge of the movie, but it also is part of the you know, failing to communicate part of the movie. And it's also part of the, this is not the smooth jazz version. So it's, you know, the, the good things and the bad things kind of combine. Uh, My thing in time travel movies is I always want the scientists, like I said, in uh, 12 monkeys, the first thing you do is find out if you can change the past. Well, that's what these guys did. You can actually yep. see them tinkering saying we have time travel. What can we do with it? Yeah, my favorite part of this movie and the, the part that makes this whole movie for me and the first time I watch it, I'm like, finally, someone has made this movie is that this has the best and as far as I'm concerned, the only realistic scene between two people uh, where one is introducing to the other something fantastical. That scene where they're at the truck and they're saying, yep. look, you're about to see something. Yeah. And I know you're going to think that I'm like making fun of you or that I'm, you know, like that is what a nerdy person would do to preface what was about to happen. Because it's the it's you have to go in and say I know what you're going to think because it's ridiculous 
but I promise you, I'm not playing a joke on you. I wouldn't do something like that whole preface is the most human part of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think is, you know, the most realistic part, because that's what draws you in. Like the whole idea that these guys are going to do this in their garage. You're like, if they did do this in the garage, this is how they would act. And having them go immediately to, and let's go for the stock market. Like that's what nerds would do. Right. And then of course it goes off the rails because they're human. And it's like, well, we have time travel now. Bad things are going to happen. And the, our true natures are going to come out and all this other stuff or whatever. But that, that little nugget in the center of the movie and that whole scene, I think it's nicely lit and everything. Uh, that, that sells the whole movie to me. Oh, it's the nicely lit scene. And it shouldn't be in the middle of the movie. It should be earlier in the movie. My favorite part yeah. of the movie yeah. is when it ended. <laughs> you, yeah. didn't like, you didn't like that bit? No, I did. I liked that bit. It just came too late. Even beyond the kind of the confusion about the time travel elements, there's also some stuff that's in there that's confusing just in terms of not explaining the like, there's the whole thing where they're going to go back and and redo the party over and over again. Yeah, why, why is that important? Of, that seems why less that, important. Like, like that, I did. I couldn't even completely piece together who the relationships were between them and people. Right. And why, why that? Like, because it was like because right. he's married, but he wants to be a hero, right? It, like the details. The details are confusing, and I think that that you could potentially chalk up to the. Uh, you know, this being a novice writer director, and I, I felt but like well, with the other stuff that was intentionally confusing, why, like that, that right. part. But I think why, the, why the point that of that sense. scene is that they're trying to keep doing that. Something terrible happens at the party, and they keep redoing it until they get it right. But I, but their motivation was unclear to me. Well, I, I think guess, right. That's just the part of the movie where they've stopped hiding in a hotel because they're afraid of affecting anything, which was a good idea. And now they're like, well, screw it. We can define the future however we want. And my guess, and this is just a guess, is that they decided that the shooting at the party was what led to Granger coming back from the future. So uh, they fixed that. Yeah, it's just weird because yeah. they didn't really explain. And it was the whole thing where Aaron wanted to be the hero, right? Like that yeah. was like they would get things where it wasn't like the shooting would be prevented, no one's hurt, but it wasn't satisfactory enough, right? And like I didn't really get why did he care about what was his relationship with the woman who I thought was actually involved with Abe, but they don't really explain that. Like, <laughs> you know, there was that 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 to me it was like why aren't uh, I didn't get that. There's a lot of technical detail in this movie. Not so much with the character detail. Uh, I mean, the yeah. two guys are are sort of interesting, although sort of interchangeable at times. And some of their interactions <laughs> about discovery yeah. and enthusiasm of their discovery is good. It's possible that naming them Abe and Aaron was Aaron. a yeah. problem. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I mean, I liked a lot about they had a lot of. I like their interplay between them. I like the discovery process where it's kind of they're going back and forth, each making kind of little breakthroughs. I thought I thought that actually kind of modeled scientific discovery in a way that yeah, you yeah. never see in movies and that was neat and and things like that and them not understanding stuff and working through it but but then yeah it, it, it's it's completely unclear to me kind of what their relationships with any of these other people are and there are other people in the movie right there are. You know? <laughs> you know? i did enjoy the moment speaking of other people when they are talking uh I I don't know which character is which, but when there's one saying to the other that uh, he should go to another hemisphere and just live his life and don't come back, uh, I like the idea of having multiples of you who are living in different hemispheres so that you can each have your own take on your life. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I'm going to go to France mm. or I'm going to go to Asia and I'm just <laughs> going to do learn whatever. Mandarin. I'm going to build a learn- very large box. <laughs> yeah, right. Can you believe they shot that on location in France on that budget? Yeah, amazing. Like the whole like, amount was just to fly everybody there yeah. to France. When, when I see, when I saw that scene, because I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, when I saw that scene again in my head, that scene was so clearly France and so clearly epic. And then you look at it again, it's like, 
close shots of people in a room. Like there's yeah. nothing yeah, yeah. in it to suggest it's like a garage. scale to suggest they didn't even try. Nope. Like, but but somehow the first time I saw that movie, I was so on you know just for the magic of movie making. And yep. Like <laughs> he's in France now and he's going to build a big one of these things. Like it, you know, the theater of the mind works so much better than now. Now I could watch it without getting that caught up in it. I'm like, oh, they they're they're in some guy's garage again. <laughs> The guy who speaks French is that good. We we couldn't afford yeah. that that uh, match shot of the uh, big box being constructed. Was, that would have cost more than the movie. So that's a big point in favor of this movie. This might be the only movie ever where they have one scene in France and they don't establish it with the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> Too expensive to buy the footage. David Lore, you're a, you're an actual uh, writer of things. <laughs> when you look at a movie like this by a, a novice writer director, I mean, do you look at it and think it's it's a it's an interesting attempt, or is it is it more of a a weird failure? Or I'm just kind of curious what your take on a movie like this is. Well, I you know I'd love to walk up to him and slap him a few times because <laughs> well you know I I really like the logic of it you know and the rules and you know building the thing and the discovery and all that. Um, you know, there are so many things in it that are really well done. And then the story and the acting just <laughs> don't hold up to the rigid logic of the science of it, you know? Well, the acting, and, I mean, I think that's why we don't know any of these other characters is that they're, they right. don't know any actors. And they, they, just they have, have no friends. friends. They also have well, no lines. Yeah. yeah. I actually I, have to write down here, Abe is blonde. And this is a movie I've seen like <laughs> double digits. Yeah. Well, after I saw it the first time, because um, I watched it twice in the last week, because I'd never seen it before, and but I'd heard about it for years, and so I read up on it afterwards, and the, you know the whole thing of you know I couldn't find any actors who couldn't inject you know they injected too much drama into it, so we decided to do it ourselves, and first of all I know enough actors in Texas to know that yeah there are people who can do that, but if he had been able to step outside and see someone else doing it, then he might have seen the problems with it. Right. Um, you know, Woody Allen can get away with that. And even Woody Allen has problems with some of his movies, especially of late. But, you know, to write and direct and star and be the cinematographer, that's too much for your first movie. Yeah. And I think all of the problems I had with the story came from that. And all the problems I had with the acting came from it. Cause, cause, a lot of it is done in that sort of dragnet monotone. Yep. Let's get through the scene before the film runs out, and we're just going to talk like this, and you talk <laughs> over me, and that's I'll how talk over you. Talk. I think he and, may oh, be yeah. a bit of a control freak, is what I. Oh, I you know really. I, I grew up with engineers, so yeah, I know yeah. exactly. So the weird thing is that I think he did the things that are difficult well, and the things that are easy yes. badly. So, for example, there's, <laughs> yes. a, there's, there's a scene the in this movie. Fine. Th- there's a scene yeah. in this movie where where, where Aaron fights himself. And you believe that Aaron fights himself, but he couldn't afford to have Aaron actually fight himself. He couldn't even afford to have a guy with a wig who you see from the back fight himself. And yet the the scene in the movie reads as, oh, clearly that's Aaron fighting himself. That's a good job. Someone who, yeah. like, that's difficult to do on a budget when you can't do any of those good things. But the basic thing of, like, have people have lines to establish who they are and what their relationships are to each other and make sure the audible, the audio is, is understandable. That he messes yeah. up, but but he can, he can do yeah. a guy fighting himself for $7,000 for the whole movie. I mean, look. I'm not going to defend the audio in the scene where they're in front of the fountain. <laughs> oh, That's man. ridiculous. Oh. Oh. Yeah. That hurt. Yeah. That hurt. $7,000, though. Yeah, it's kind of, you know. <laughs> it was a pretty fountain, I guess. Sure. One one of the rules that uh, I, I was brought up in when I started doing theater was that a playwright never directs his own work. 
because you need to be able to watch. And you can't watch when you're trying to tell people how to do it the way you want it to be done. Because maybe the way you want it to be done might not work. And so, you know, so that bothered me. So when I watched it the second time, it was like, oh, yeah, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I I did like so much of it. So, so yeah, that the things I didn't like pissed me off. And the things yep. I really liked made the things I didn't like piss me off even more. It's a strange, yeah. strange movie. It is unlike any yeah. other movie I've ever seen. It is a weird, yeah. weird thing. It's, I mean, I like it, yeah. but I think I like it more as a puzzle than as a movie or a story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Yes. I really like puzzles. I like yeah. puzzles. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Is When I watch it, I'm watching it to kind of have that experience of whether it's like replaying a game or, you know, whatever. It's like not quite watching a movie. It's like experiencing the mystification and trying to figure out what I'm missing and and it's not the same as watching other favorite movies. It's more like, yeah, I'm going to do another crossword puzzle. <laughs> so what what have we learned about time travel movies, guys, by, by watching these three movies? They're very different takes on time travel. Did we learn that we have other movies that we like better about time travel? Did we? I mean, I don't know. I like I love Primer. But I, I, I think we learned that these three movies that we talked about, even though they seem to have some kind of unifying theme in time travel, don't. There's there, many, there are three very fair. different movies that share almost nothing in common. Except the general idea of time Two travel. Two of them are Bruce Willis movies. Not even that. Except the time travel screws you up. Time travel does screw you up in all three of them, though. That's that's true, actually. Yeah. Bad idea. And there are too many Bruce no, Willis's. Don't travel in time. Virus please. research screwed us up in 12 Monkeys. Time travel was fine. That wasn't the well, problem. Well, it screwed up Bruce Willis, right? He makes him drool like a large amount of drool. He always drools that well, much. There are worse take things. it out with CG yeah. afterwards. Sybil Shepherd screwed up Bruce Willis. Ouch. Yeah, where's the where's the David Addison movie? I'd watch that. I would watch that. Just David Addison? Really? Yeah. I think it was a chemistry thing. Now that Charles Rocket is dead, I'm not sure they can do that. If you like David Addison so much, <laughs> go listen to Bruce Willis's harmonica album. I own The it. Return of Bruno. Wow. Yeah. On cassette. Classy. <laughs> wow. wow. I was weak. All right. Do we have uh, before before we go? I, I wanted to ask all you guys. Um, since we're talking about time travel, do you have a preferred, uh, you know, a favorite time travel movie that that you'd like to mention here before we go? Um, I think Somewhere in Time is really sweet. Somewhere in Time is lovely, and the book Bid Time Return that it's based on by Richard Matheson, very good. I was on Mackinac Island last weekend, and I saw the location they used for the coin shop which I thought was weird because they also used the Hotel Del Coronado in San Diego for most right. of the movie. And those yeah. two places are nowhere no, near no, each other. Not even close. And believe it or not, it's being turned into a musical as we speak. Oh, wow. For, for the stage. We already mentioned Back to the Future, but I think it's, you know, that's that's my go-to time travel movie for the movie that's just so successful on so many levels and just handles time travel like it's nothing. Like they like they can it, that movie just does everything right and just casual and breezy time travel sure. We'll base the whole movie on it and we'll just have funny jokes and interesting situations and we'll just do everything we can do with it. The sequels less so, of course, but uh I I think that's probably my favorite time travel movie. Uh it's my second favorite time travel movie. My favorite time travel movie, and calling it time travel, I agree, is well, I, I pre-defend is a bit of a stretch, but I'm going to go with Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's close. That's close. It's definitely, yeah. definitely a different kind of movie there, but higher degree of difficulty, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's like, Groundhog Day is like transcendent. Right. Yeah, I, I would go with Groundhog Day and 
Back to the Future, Back and Forth, and then the movie that hasn't been made yet that I would love to see. Oh, I saw it in the past from the future. Mm. There you go. This will make Dan Morin very happy. It's Connie Willis's To Say Nothing of the Dog. Oh, yeah, that would be a... That, that's not a fun book. That's a nice book. That is that is delightful. I would like somebody to make a movie out of Robert Heinlein's All You Zombies, but very little Ooh. happens in it that isn't just plot. But it's plot I love. <laughs> hmm. Oh, and uh, speaking of books, Time and Again by Jack Finney, which um, I think John Stewart bought the rights to years and years ago before The Daily Show hmm. and then hasn't done anything with. Bastard. Tony, did you have a... Does uh does Star Trek Four count as a, a time travel movie or just a whale movie that has time travel in it? <laughs> well, it is a movie about whales that has time travel in it. I like I like that movie. It's mostly a whale vehicle. Now that's a niche. I you know I'm the Wikipedia page on whale movies is woefully incomplete <laughs> compared to the Wikipedia page on time travel movies. Get on it, shut-ins. Citation needed. Well, he's Orca. <laughs> Moby uh, Blackfish currently Star in theaters. You know the the book, The Time Traveler's Wife. That's good time travel. Yes, but not the movie. No, the movie's terrible time travel, but the book is good time travel. The book is good time travel. <laughs> well, my favorite time travel movie is Primer, so yeah. Yeah, mine too. Wow. I can't believe I that. I know. I it's know. It's the most time travel movie. <laughs> it is the most time travel of any time travel. Yeah, you, you got to the ultimate movie the ultimate, yeah. had too much stuff diluting the time travel. Primer is the answer. Primer is like, if you want all time travel, this is it. This is, you're getting it. It turns out you don't like it so if, much. If I discovered time travel... I would do a lot of things, but the very first thing I do would be go back in time and not watch Primer in the first place. <laughs> you can't unwatch well, de- it, Lex. Yeah, depending on uh, which uh, continuity you adhere yeah, you to. Got, you got to make sure that the Lex there gets back in the box. So what though. you do is you you drug you drug the Lex there before he watched the movie, take the movie and and break it. Right. And if it was a digital copy, just destroy all the digital devices in your house. Lex, in order for that to happen, some Lex has to see Primer. That's the problem. <laughs> Damn the it. Best you, yeah. The best you can do is not be that Lex. Lex Prime. That's the thing about the movie is like it can't help. The darkest but, timeline. It, Primer can't help but follow a character or a set of characters, and they get the privileged point of view. And in reality, there is no privilege. There, there is no you know privileged frame of reference. Like all of those versions of Abe and Aaron are equally important and the same and just because right. the camera is following this one we think it's okay for him to drug this other one so in the reality lex wants to go back and not watch that movie you think that's okay because you're thinking from the perspective of you but you are also the other person who is seeing the movie so he you're wants not saving to see yourself it. you're not you're not exactly he's excited for this new movie he's heard his friends <laughs> tell, talk about so there's no you're not saving anybody from anything i think what sold me on primer was like my fourth or fifth viewing when I realized early on that the wife was complaining about rats in the walls. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's the drugged um, yeah. whichever Dr- of them. Drugged Aaron. In the attic. Or Abe. That, that Abe. was on your fourth yeah. viewing. You should definitely consult the chart. Yeah, that was the... Well, there I was, was, was going to say... Yeah, it's, was, it, it's early on this movie. <laughs> I, got that in, I got that in the first run Prim, through. Primer's a they, good... They hammered that. It's a grower. You know, you got to watch it four or five times before you really start to like it. <laughs> I liked on the... I think on the second time through, I got that he was bleeding from his ear... Not because from that one trip, but that like he had done multiple trips. Yeah, too many trips. Yeah, he was ahead of the other one. Because he was filling in for himself. And it was because otherwise I'm like, you're bleeding from your ear. And there's like, he's holding a towel with a lot of blood in it. It's like, no, we should do like a couple more runs to make more money on the stock market. It's like, there is blood coming from your brain onto this towel. It's a problem. And originally they were saying, well, we could just win the lottery. Well, that'll take until Saturday. (laughs) Guys, (laughs) this isn't safe. This. Once you get a time machine, all of a sudden you get really impatient. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, the character arc I really do like where they start off very cautious and then throw that out. Screw it. So quickly. <laughs> I, like, I like the fact they throw it over the idea of like punching the boss in the face and then going back and not having done it. Like the concept, <laughs> like that's, that's the impetus. For, like that's where the idea gets out there and, and the motivation is so petty and, and silly, but also well, very human. <laughs> part of that is the scientific thing where you go, well, can we do this? Maybe. Well, well, can I do that? What if there were now two of me? Can I duplicate myself? And the whole, the, I like when the when they get the cell phone and they have to like debate how, what is the technology <laughs> of cell phone networks before we. Like I don't, I don't know how they work. Do you know how they work? Not really. That's, Not really. A, that's a good scene. That's a believable engineering that's scene, right? Because it's Does like, it ring my phone and his phone? I, don't know. I guess this is how it works. Maybe are, I like. That. Are we saving money? Can we use the Freon? No, you know, don't do yeah. that. Did you cut anything yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one of my discoveries when I looked at that chart for the first time was the idea that Primer takes place like over like I think five days. Yeah. Which, well, it's like ground. It's like Groundhog Day, 144 yeah, years yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I have trouble. I have trouble processing that even for like an 80 minute movie. It it feels like it's taking place over a much larger. Ha ha ha. Well, it's time. only five like chronological days, but they go three and a half days past. They spend many the, days awake. I guess. Yeah. The first yeah. time they use the failsafe, they're only three and a half days in, but now they're starting over. Right. When they travel a long way, they can't sleep in the box. Right. So that's one of the reasons they're all frazzled when they get out. Well, and, there's the, and there's the cute line like, oh, I'm hungry because I haven't eaten until later. Yeah, this that, afternoon. That's, that's the best line in the movie. That's probably the best, the best time travel line ever in a movie because it's not in a movie with lots of jokes and one liners and not even very many comedic scenes. And that one just kind of lands right in the middle. Like, hey, I, yeah. I even I even said it wrong. It's I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Delivered delivered in that same monotone as everything else. That's why it works. You know, this, this movie really this movie like... would actually benefit from a remake. Can't you imagine like a, a yeah. fancy, glossy remake of this by a director who with an hour long car chase right at the end in Paris? No, not like that, but just like done <laughs> done more nicely, and you could do more stuff. Like you could further explore things in a more coherent way. You know, somebody you wouldn't even need a big remake. I think somebody could take digital video cameras and their friends and make remake this movie. Yeah. Sweet, probably it. make it better. If, if Shane Carruth had just come forward in time to now, he could have made an amazing movie for seven thousand dollars audio doesn't work just lay in another track it's all digital I know. you know i have an iphone i could take the script and make a perfectly adequate movie yes yeah yeah nine years later i'm gonna really love this movie the 30th time i see yeah, it. yeah it gets better every time it does yeah. it does but the, you might not like it lex just watch it like 20 more times and you'll be there with us yeah if, i'm not seeing any remake it's, by the way <laughs> it's it's the stockholm syndrome of time travel movie. it is yeah. it's great when you can recite it. all the dialogue and still not be able to explain what's going on <laughs> that's when it which really sinks in then yeah i don't know they were they were afraid that like the studio was afraid that like people wouldn't understand 12 monkeys so i don't think anyone <laughs> would. that was yeah. like a that's, thing there, there was, you like, go was a whole yeah. thing yeah. Can, can you imagine a studio ever letting this movie out the ever. test audiences for 12 monkeys did really poorly and people didn't understand it and it was like they they were basically wanted to like have terry gilliam go back and like change a bunch of stuff and reshoot stuff and he he said he wasn't going to and you know and then it kind of did okay but yeah yeah but yeah that no one's going to give this guy money to do primer. Twelve Monkeys came out a year after Pulp Fiction, and I really peg Pulp Fiction as the the moment where everybody realized that telling stories out of order was cool. And since then, there's been a flood of them. So that was very early on, and I think you know that's why they were afraid people were going to not understand. It's not linear. Oh, but not everyone's Quentin Tarantino, unfortunately. No, well that's true. I like Quentin Tarantino, but it's probably good that everybody isn't him. Yeah, that would that, think about. Oh, yeah. yeah, not everybody's but, Terry Gilliam. But like, uh, he but he made it look so easy. Like you just shoot things out of sequence, and it all comes together in a satisfying way. If if the only movies you could take your kids were to were R rated, that would get yeah. like fast, right? You know. 
I'm going to go see a Quentin Tarantino rated G kids movie. Quentin Tarantino Scooby Doo? Man. <laughs> I'd see that. He's probably got oh, some God, yeah. G stuff, G rated stuff that he's obsessed yeah, with. But, but Quentin would put himself in a shaggy, and you don't want to see yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that for another podcast where we maybe we draft directors and assign them bizarre movies i don't know there's there's a, there's a topic there somewhere but we should we should uh step out of the time machine and uh get on with our lives or actually no i think the machine is warmed up so that we can all enter the box and and uh, exit at the beginning of the podcast but uh before we step inside the time machine i want to thank my guests for being here tony sindelar thank you for watching the movies and coming and talking about them it was my pleasure david lore uh always nice to have you on Thank you very much. Always nice to be here. Monty, I'm glad there's somebody who likes Primer. <laughs> glad I could help. <laughs> it's Thanks for being on my side. Uh, Lex Friedman, thank you for being on. It's not always nice to have you on The Incomparable. It was a pleasure, except for the part where I watched Primer again. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Two out of three ain't bad. And John Syracuse, thank you for being here, too. I really like Primer 2. It's just not my very, very, very favorite no. time travel movie. It's probably number three. And it has some issues. There's no doubt about it. I love it anyway. But yeah, there's plenty of issues there. And uh, for everybody here at The Incomparable, I've been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We're back on The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight we're going to be talking about time travel movies, but I have a confession to make. What you're listening to is timeline B of this podcast. We already did the podcast, and then we entered a time travel box, traveled back a little more than an hour in time, and are now emerging from the box at the beginning of the podcast, which I know is very confusing. 